the Lord is saying is today is the day to come off the fence. So what I want you to do, what all of you to do is this. I want you all to close your eyes. And if that's you, I want you to look at me. So if you've never actually committed to a relationship with Jesus, but decide to do so today, I want you to look at me. And what the Lord said was, we're not going any further in the service until this happens. Okay, you can open your eyes. So this is the uh, second week. We, we started a series last week called I Love My Church. And last week I sort of laid out the, uh, well, before I get to that, we actually have another video to show you. Uh, so let's get to that first. My name is Cindy Brogan, and I am a member here at the Harmony Vineyard Church. 
And the question I'm here to answer today is why I love my church. In order to answer this question for you, I have to give you a story about how I ended up here on the first day. Around 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic back problems, and I didn't know if I was ever going to get better because the doctors really didn't know what was wrong with me. And so I wanted someone to just pray with. I knew that God was with me, and he was taking care of me, and he was protecting me, but I just wanted one of his people to pray with me. So I got up the very next day, and I hobbled down to the corner where there was a church, and there was always cars in the parking lot, and I figured that I would knock on the door, and I would ask the pastor or his wife or someone to pray with me. But you see, when I got there, there were no cars in the parking lot that day. There was nobody there when I knocked on the door. So I hobbled back home and told the Lord how I felt about it and how disheartened I was. And that very night, my husband came home from work and told me about a sign that he'd saw for a vineyard church on his way home and asked me if I wanted to go on Sunday. Now, we'd been church shopping for a long time, and I was getting very tired. But I said, okay, we try another one. So the next Sunday, I got up, put my clothes on, and came down here. And I walked in the front door, and there was a bunch of greeters. And they were all smiling and happy. And the first one that looked at me looked in my eyes and said, Oh, honey, you look like you need prayer. And she took me in the other room, and she prayed for me right then and there. Someone she didn't know, a stranger to her. So why do I love my church? Well, Jesus was answer, asked in Matthew 22, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. I see that demonstrated every day in many different ways by the people here at Beth's church. And that's why I love my church. Thank you, Cindy, for doing that. So the first um, message in this series, uh, last week, I talked about our, our vision and our mission and our core values. And if you didn't hear that and you'd like to, it's available on our website and uh, there's a podcast uh, that's available as well uh, on uh, iTunes. So um, at the end of that message, after laying all that out, I talked about two ways that everybody can help really kind of help us achieve that vision. And uh, the first way I mentioned was last, what I was what I mentioned last week was that you can do so by either committing or recommitting yourself to the vision of the church and to what it is we're trying to accomplish and to recommit yourself to praying for the church. And then um, I sort of said that the other ways would be covered in, in future messages. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to start to talk about those other ways. And the first one of those is uh, giving. And uh, so let me start off this message on giving by asking you a question. Have you ever received a gift and thought to yourself, well, just exactly how much effort went into this? 
um, I, I can remember a friend of mine telling me this one time that they kept a generic, actually several generic gifts wrapped and in their hall closet for the eventuality that if somebody came over that they weren't expecting to get a gift from, but they came over to give them a gift, they could just reach up in the closet, pull this out and say, here, just for you. <laughs> yeah, well, not so much. Um, and see, a gift like that, it's given out of a perceived obligation, right? There wasn't any kind of love there. There really wasn't any kind of thought given to it. It was just something that they saw that was generic enough you could give it to anybody. And there was they felt an obligation because they had been given something. And that's something we all need to get better with, by the way. We struggle because God gave us a free gift. And we constantly think that we've got to give something back in return, and we don't. We just have to receive the gift. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do anything. We're going to get into that. Um, but, you know, the other thing is sometimes we get a gift that we really don't like. And sometimes we take those gifts that we really don't like and we gift them to somebody else. <laughs> That's called regifting. How many folks in here will admit to regifting something? All right, I'm going to write this down. <laughs> Keep your hands up. I just want to make sure that next year when Christmas rolls around, I'm making a list and I'm going to check it twice. So the point is that, that sometimes we receive what we don't want and sometimes we give away what we really don't want. And the point I'm trying to make is we do this to God too. See, instead of putting some passion and effort into what it is that we give him, Sometimes we just give him half-hearted gifts. Or sometimes we just give him half a gift. So whatever the case may be in your situation, we ought to always desire to give God our best. To give him our best. And so we're going to look at uh, a story from Scripture. It's the very first story uh, of somebody giving something to God. And we're going to see kind of what we can learn from that about how we give to God. So if you would like to follow along uh, in your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 2b, second part of verse 2 through verse 10. But we will also have it up here on the screen. All right. So verse 2b starts like this. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So, first, a little background. Cain and Abel, if you are not aware, were the sons of Adam and Eve, right? The very first humans. And Adam, I believe, being a good father, well, he apparently taught his sons how to work, to work alongside him. And then he had them, when they were old enough, I'm sure, coming out and helping him to do all the things that he did, probably to uh, work the, the land as well as to raise animals, all right? And I think over time, it probably became apparent that Cain was more gifted in the areas of growing crops and Abel a little bit more gifted at raising and caring for livestock, sheep in this instance. So Cain became a farmer, Abel became a shepherd. Now the one thing that goes unanswered in this text is why they decided to bring something to God. doesn't really say. Could be that Adam, their father, taught them that this is something that they should do. Uh, it could be that God himself commanded them to do it, and we just don't have a record of that conversation. That was not part of what was revealed. Or it could be that they just intuitively understood something that we would do well to understand. And that is simply that all that you have comes from God. Now, I think it's pretty easy for us to get caught up in this, in this world and in our quests for a better job, a bigger house, bigger paycheck, more toys. And in that process, we start to think that we're the ones that are really responsible for that or that have control over that. Now, in some respects, we are. Okay. Last time I checked, there weren't grocery stores giving away food or clothing stores giving away apparel or car dealerships offering free cars. So yes, working and being a productive member of society is important. And obviously, Cain and Abel understood that, right? Because they had jobs and they worked for a living. But maybe because in their jobs that they worked firsthand with God's, excuse me, with God's creation, they understood this in a way that those of us who work in healthcare or education or technology or construction tend to forget. And that is that everything comes from God. Everything. And as soon as we begin to forget that, we need to remember only three words to bring us back to the truth. In the beginning. The first three words in the Bible, in the beginning, can serve as a reminder that before God chose to speak the world into existence, there was nothing. Or, if that doesn't work well, well for you, you could choose a different three-word combination from the same part of the scripture. And God said. See, with nothing to work with, God spoke the world and everything that is part of it into existence. Now, stop and ponder that for a moment. The field of healthcare, with all of the amazing drugs and surgical techniques 
and the ways of healing that we have now would not exist without, and God said. The field of education, all of the excellent teachers, and the wealth of knowledge that's available to us does not exist without, and God said. All the amazing technological wonders that we depend on every day do not exist without, and God said. Houses and offices and roads and bridges and every other thing that's ever been built would not have been built without, and God said. It reminds me of an old joke where God was approached by a scientist who said, listen, God, we've decided that we don't need you anymore. These days we can clone people, we can implant organs and do all sorts of things that used to be considered impossible or miraculous. And God replied, oh, don't need me, huh? Well, how about we put your theory to the test? Why don't we have a competition and see who can make a human being, let's just say a male human being. The scientist agrees. So God declares that they should do it like he did it in the good old days when he created Adam. Fine, says the scientist as he bends down to scoop up a handful of dirt. Whoa, now wait just a minute, says God, shaking his head in disapproval. <laughs> Not so fast. Get your own dirt. See, as much as we would like to say it was our own personal genius or work ethic or shrewd investing strategies that are responsible for where we are and what we have, there would be none of it without and God said. And that unassailable fact needs to be front and center when we think about giving back to God. Second thing that I think this story sort of points out to us is that we need to give what is acceptable to God, not, as what, not what is acceptable to us. See, the text is, is ambiguous in, in large measure about why God rejected Cain's offering. There are some scholars who have studied this and suggest it was because Abel's offering was a blood offering and Cain's was not. All right, if you're going to read through the Old Testament, you understand that a little bit better. But uh, there are others who said it was because Cain did not offer a first fruits offering. So what first fruits really means biblically is that um, in, in Cain's case, other than offer God the very best of his produce, he set aside the misshapen or the half rotten or the otherwise less than great fruit of his crop and gave that to God. Another possibility is that Cain's attitude toward giving. And this is the one thing that is actually evidenced somewhat in the, in the actual text, in verses 6 through 7, when God asks Cain why he is so angry. But whatever the, whatever the reason was, it's really kind of immaterial to the story. What we need to understand, though, is that there existed a major difference between Cain offering what the Lord thought was acceptable and Cain offering what he thought was acceptable. And knowing what's acceptable to God, especially in this day and age, is not that hard. God simply wants your best. 
If you read through the Bible with an eye towards giving to God, you would soon find out that God wants the first and the best, not the leftovers and the spoiled fruit. See, that's what Abel brought. He brought animals that were the firstborn, excuse me, firstborn of his flock. That's what tithing is all about, giving God the first 10% of what you have earned or received and then spending and saving the remainder. That's what God was speaking about through the prophet Isaiah when he said, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's case. See, at that time, the sacrifices Israel was offering to God were an abomination to him because they were ignoring the social needs of the people. It's not an either-or thing. It's a both-and Throughout scripture, God calls upon his people to give him the very best that they have to offer and do so cheerfully. Second Corinthians, second, uh, yeah, Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now there's always going to be people who gripe and grumble and complain about sermons like this. Justifying their attitude by saying is all they ever talk about in the church is money. My money. Well, first of all, that's just simply not true. I may preach a couple of messages, or if I do a series on giving, it's probably once a year. Okay, that would be four messages. That's about 8% of what I would preach on for an entire year. So it's simply not true that all we talk about is money. And second, how in the world do these folks think we pay for all of this? (laughs) Right? We have a building that we need to meet in. We have educational materials for our children. I'd like to get a little something for what I do. (laughs) Um, As well as all the things that, you know, we give money away to the poor and, and all sorts of things. And pennies from heaven is a nice saying, but that is not how the church gets funded. (laughs) So to accomplish the vision that I set out before you last week requires resources. And those resources become abundantly available if we all choose to give God our best. And the last thing, and this is really not part of the text, but I think this is This is how we understand what our best is. And I think our best includes our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. Now, this is one of the things that I remember from my time in the United Methodist Church. When you join the United Methodist Church, you come up before, you stand before the congregation, and you're asked a series of questions. And one of the questions that you are asked is, do you promise to faithfully participate in the ministries of this church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. And I truly think that's an excellent way of thinking about giving God your best. The power of giving can only be truly achieved when all of these things are present. So let's look at, let's look at these one by one. So we have prayers. You cannot read the Bible 
and come away thinking somehow that prayer is not important. You just cannot do it, right? Abraham prayed, Isaac prayed, Moses prayed, Jesus prayed, and Jesus taught other people to pray. Prayer is crucial, and all of us need to be praying. And just to emphasize this, um, you may have seen an email that I sent out this week where I've asked about volunteers to serve as intercessors for our Sunday services. Now, I'm not going to point this out every week, but Lindsay agreed to do this. She's one of those, and that's, and that's what she's doing today. She has spent the entire service just praying for everything going on from before worship started through the end of the service. She's our DI, designated intercessor for the week. And we're going to have one every week because prayer is important. And you need to pray for yourself. So I don't want to make this all about the church. I mean, prayer is something that you need to do for yourself because that's how you begin to build a relationship with God. But as you pray about the things that are important in your life, pray about this church as well. Pray about the services on Sunday. Pray about the outreaches that we have scheduled. Pray about um, whatever, that, that we can achieve the vision in a way that uh, you know, honors God. You can pray about all of those sorts of things. So that's prayer. The next is presence. Now, presence actually sounds pretty easy, right? You just show up. All right, check that one off the list. Got presence covered. Well, it does seem easy in one sense. but And I'm going to step on some toes here, and that's okay, because that's sort of what I get paid to do. Giving God your best in this area means showing up every week. Now, I know some people have to work on Sunday, and I'm not talking about that. That's out of your control. But the sad fact is that now, in the day and age that we live in, the definition of regular church attendance is one to two times a month. That's considered regular now. And in my humble opinion, that is not giving God your best. But the thing is, presence is actually more than just showing up at church on Sunday. When someone's lost a loved one, it could be a parent, or a spouse, or a child, or a sibling, and words seem very inadequate, we can give someone the gift of presence. When violence or dishonesty has shattered a family, we can give someone the gift of presence. When natural disasters have ripped through a community, or whether it's a flood that's 10 miles away, or a tornado that's 1,000 miles away, we can give the gift of presence. See, our gift of presence can be through a personal one-on-one -on -one visit. And presence can also be offered to the broader world through the work of the church. Now, gifts. Yes, this is where we talk about money. <laughs> and I'm, We've talked about it some already, so I'm not going to belabor the point. 
Churches need money to operate, as I said, to pay for a place to meet, to pay for salaries, and all of the other things that a church does. And yes, tithing or giving a tenth is an Old Testament concept that specifically that is not specifically mentioned in the New Testament. Now I just read you a scripture that is the one usually referred to in the New Testament about deciding in your heart what to give. But see, tithing keeps things simple. And I see nothing wrong with continuing a practice that God clearly ordained. And regarding the whole deciding in your heart verse, there are scholars who will contend that the tithe was the implied minimum. And then what you decided in your heart was how much above the tithe you were going to go. And finally, service. And as I mentioned earlier in quoting Isaiah 117, verse service to others is important to God. But see, there's good news in this because it's not necessary for you to become a martyr any longer. No one thinks that's good news? Okay, just checking. Hello? It's not necessary to be a missionary. It's not necessary to go to seminary. It's not even necessary to be on the praise team in order to serve God. You can serve God by helping people right in your own city or in your own neighborhood. It's, it's really easy. All you've got to do is be alert. And if people around you need something, then you provide it. I have some friends, and I, we've talked about this here before. It's been, I know, several years ago. But I have some friends who keep money in their wallet that they call their Jesus money. Now, maybe $20, $40, whatever they feel like God has sort of told them to do, they keep that in a special place in their wallet or purse or wherever and only use it when they believe God is telling them to give it to somebody. And when they get that nudge, then they pull that money out and they give it to the person. And so that's a very easy way to serve others. And I think, uh, are most of you familiar with the parable that Jesus told? Really, it's sort of talking about the end times when he's going to divide people into sheep and goats. Read that? It's, uh, it's in the New Testament. But... Regardless, one of the things that I think is really important and, and noteworthy about that parable is why they were separated into those two categories. Was it because they were really great at praying that they were separated between sheep and goats? Nope. How about presence? Was it because they always showed up at synagogue or church on Sunday? No. Was it because they were outstanding givers? No. It was about service. Remember he talked about their, you know, seeing someone who was in need and fulfilling that need, whether they were hungry or naked or whatever the case may be. So in the final reckoning, it was because of their service that they had been separated sheep and goats. And so as a church, 
we're going to step up our efforts at finding ways of serving in our community. The homeless outreach that uh, we have going on right now is really just the first of what I hope are many other ways that we can do that. If you're not aware, uh, we are doing a, an outreach to the homeless. We're doing it on January the 25th, so not next Saturday, but the following Saturday. We're collecting uh, items, uh, primarily blankets, but really any article of warm clothing because when you're homeless, you're not living in, you know, usually in some place that's nice and heated with electricity and all that. It's probably in a tent or on a bench or somewhere at night. And so anything that can help someone keep warm, we'll, we'll willingly take. It doesn't have to be new stuff either. It goes to your closet. If it's a coat you don't wear any longer, we'll gladly take it. And if we can't give it away, we'll just take it to goodwill. Um, Were we going to do training for that next Sunday? Is that kind of what we were thinking? That's what I was thinking. Now Chip's thinking it too. <laughs> so if you want to if you want to help with this, then um, what we'll probably do is just have you stick around for a little while after church. We'd love to have as many people help uh, as possible, but we would like to do a little bit of training so that you kind of there's a fear I think that is sort of innate with when you start to deal with homeless people. You know, kind of un you can be uncomfortable. You don't know how to talk to them or whatever. And so we would just like to talk a little bit about that and maybe help alleviate some of the fear that you may have in doing that and, and, and make this a good experience for anybody that wants to help do this. So um, we'll plan on doing that next Sunday after church. So to land the plane, what can you do? What can you do? in this area to help Harmony Vineyard Church achieve the vision that we set before you last week? Well, first of all, I think it's important that we all commit ourselves um, to being used by God and to being a good steward of that which he has given to us, which is, if you were listening to the first part of my sermon, what has he given us? Thank you, Rich. Everything. God has given us everything. And we need to be good stewards of what he has given to us. And secondly, giving God your best through the commitment of your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. Very simple, but yet very, in many cases, somewhat challenging to do. But if we are truly going to see the vision that, that we have before us begin to come to fruition, then it's going to take all of those things. Money alone doesn't get it. We could have all the money in the world, and if we don't have anybody willing to come and, and help serve those in need, then we just, you know, are a church with a lot of money. And money's not always the answer to everything. I was talking with a, uh, a gentleman, actually another pastor, this past week. And he was telling me a story. His church is uh, really trying to uh, press into this idea of, of helping the homeless uh, as well. It's the Shiloh Baptist in Richmond. 
and he was telling me a really sad story about a man that was homeless. And we, he actually stopped by here once. I wasn't here. But he was a homeless guy, and he went around to churches, and he, he would ask them if it was okay, if he, if he could he come in and play the drums. So they let him come in and play. It was like during the week, and there wasn't anybody else there, so they come in and just let him, he would play the drums for a while. Well, my pastor friend um, was determined to try and help this guy. And so he found a man that had a room that, that he was willing to let him have. And um, all, he, all the man had to do was to work for this man, and it would, he would cover the rent and give him any money that was left over, he would just give to him. Um, and the man wouldn't take it. And ultimately, he was walking down Mechanicsville Turnpike and was struck by a car and killed. And my pastor friend got angry at that because he just felt like it didn't have to happen. And yet for whatever reason, and this is what is challenging about working with the homeless, some of them choose that way to live. They just, that's what they want to do. They're not happy being you know, in, a, in any place like that we would normally think of as a great place to live. So, money's important, but prayer, probably the most important. And presence and service are important too. And so look for ways. Let this challenge you a little bit. That if you've not been involved in the things that we're doing as a church, that you find a way to get involved. And service does not necessarily mean just going out on outreaches. I mean, every staff meeting, Andre and Cindy Brogan say, could you please say something about seeing if anybody else will help in the, in the, with the kids? I mean, my heart, I cannot thank you guys enough for the faithfulness that you have exhibited over these many, many years taking care of all the kids who have been in here and never hesitating from it, never turning from it, never throwing your hands up in the air and saying, well, if nobody else is going to do this, I'm not either. That's faithfulness. And so you know, there's lots of those kinds of opportunities to, to serve that will bless other people. So Take some time, sit before God, and just see what it is that he would have you do. Let's pray. Father, you've given us so much, <laughs> so much, too much in many cases. We are so blessed as a people, as a nation. I mean, the standard of living of the poorest of our poor is so far above that which exists in, in other nations. And so we truly are blessed. You've given us much. 
And it is only right that we honor you and thank you for what you have given to us by giving back to you. To pray for those things that are important to you, like the advancement of your kingdom, the salvation of our friends and relatives and neighbors who don't know you. To come to church and worship you on Sunday. To offer you a sacrifice of praise. And yes, sometimes it is a sacrifice to praise. Sometimes we don't feel like it. But that's the very time that we've got to dig in and to actually give that to God. To honor you with a monetary gift, specifically a tithe, as a way of thanking you for all that you've blessed us with. And finally, to serve you in, in one or more ways. Father, this is, this is not the job of the clergy and the staff of a church. This is the job of the church, period. Everybody. And so, Lord, I just pray now that you would begin to work in the minds and hearts of everybody here and guide them and help them to understand where it is that they can plug in and become a, a, a truly valued member of this, this church, this body of believers. And that together, through all of those things, our vision slowly but surely begins to be more real. And that we can see as we take those little steps. So Lord, I just give you thanks and praise for all of these, your people. Father, I just pray that you continue to bless all of them abundantly. us to want what it is that you want, God. Let that become our passion and our purpose. And I ask all this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you now to experience God in some way. If you need prayer, for something. And we have folks at the back who would love to pray with you. If you're that person and your stomach is still bothering you, see one of them and they can pray for you. If you just want to sit here and just sort of be in God's presence to continue to worship, I encourage you to do that. And if you need to leave, then, then that's fine. thanks and praise. Pray his blessing upon you and hope that we see you again soon. God bless you.